Well, welcome to another week of broadcast here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and really good to have you along now that we've got a little bit better weather to deal with, Lord willing. Uh, though it's been nice to have the rain, I'm not going to lie. And one of the most disappointing things that we've seen over the uh, uh, the fact that the state of emergencies declared, that's not disappointing. I mean, that's to be expected, right? You would hope that the governor would uh, call for a state of emergency with all the snowfall and with all the people without power and not able to get uh, the things that they needed for their homes, especially in those mountain areas. But to see the number of cities saying, hey, this is great because we have a water collection system. Uh, we can actually store a lot of the rainwater and the runoff from the snowpack and, and we'll be okay. But California on the whole still remains in this weird drought-like state because the water we do have needs to be salinated. That means it's salt water at the beach. And the, we could, man, the totals, the local mountains, at least local to our Cape Wright Southern California crowd, 102 inches of snow valley. And it's just, it's incredible how much, how much snow was. I saw some friends who, I have some friends who live in Palm Desert and they took some shots, aerial shots of the uh, mountains up near Joshua Tree and the beautiful snow up there, just regardless of, uh, you know, where you are, come see the snow while it still can be seen and the cold temperatures that go along with it. But every time I see inclement weather or inclement weather, I'm also reminded of the fact that there are people who live in the U.S. who don't have homes. And I'm really impressed, like with the church in, uh, I think it was East County, San Diego, that went through the process of trying to provide uh, shelter for the homeless in their area. And we, we detailed here on the Bottom Line Show what an arduous task it was for that church to take some abandoned empty space on their own church property that they had yet to develop and to get all the permits and get everything squared away so they could build. You know, they, they basically build these small mini homes. They're kind of like, I mean, it's like a, a fairly good size bedroom. You know, what what's a you know, kid room is like 10 by 8, 10 by 9. Some bedrooms are 12 by 10 or 13 by 11, you know, whatever it is. They, they build these homes, if you will, that are like 80 square feet. They've got a kitchen and a sink. They've got a toilet and a shower and a place to sleep. So it's kind of a Murphy bed, pull out the, uh, the, uh, the mattress from the uh, sofa sleeper type of situation. But they also had porches too. And it took them like two and a half years to get the permits and get the funding and everything to build like six of these units. But they did, and they were transitional housing. I believe that all housing for those who are homeless should be transitional. The name of the game is not to say, hey, like there was one city that was talking about, hey, we're just going to hand it, was it Portland, Oregon or something like that? If you're homeless, you get $1,000 a month. Why? And I mean that most sincerely. Not a question of you know, wanting to care for people. Of course, we should be mindful of those who are less fortunate, who don't have a situation there, but for the grace of God, go any of us. But why is it that so many of the civic solutions that the world comes up with really don't have any legs? They don't go anywhere. I mean, case in point, the state of California has a huge problem with homelessness statewide. Now, the state's 900 miles long, so there's a lot of, you might say, we don't have a problem here in our county. There's only 58 counties, but it's 900 miles long or whatever it is. And the the number of homeless, it, it, like in L.A., it's just a hair under 42,000 people. L.A. County just uh, allocated another $50 million 
to fight the homeless crisis. And you think, well, build some temporary housing, you know, take some old. Uh, <laughs> one of the thoughts that I would have is the government owns a lot of property that they're not doing anything with. The government owns a lot of empty office buildings and things of that nature. So why not turn that uh, property into transitional housing for people who are homeless? There's some churches who've done that. You know, purchase an old sanctuary or a church that had a sanctuary and a social hall and they get the zoning squared away and they become transitional housing for people who are experiencing homelessness. $50 million recently approved in Los Angeles. A total of $10 billion has been allocated in the People's Republic of California to curb the homeless crisis over the past four and a half, five years. And yet, despite this massive government spending dedicated to, quote-unquote, alleviating the homeless crisis, there's one thing that Californians don't take into consideration. And that is the fact that California has really cool weather, or really nice weather, warm weather. And as a result of the fact that California often pays better benefits for people who are homeless, if they are collecting those benefits, but even if they aren't, the weather's nice, you can actually live here. Where are you going to go? Bismarck, North Dakota? Or Los Angeles, California. 30% of the county's homeless, po- or the country's homeless population lives in, La- in uh, California. 30%. There's estimated somewhere around a half million people who have been counted as homeless. And 30% of them live in California. So of the cities in the state of California, of the counties, you see a place like L.A. County. I mentioned they have around 42,000 homeless living in L.A. County. Uh, the county keeps allocating $10 million here, $20 million. They recently reallocated $50 million. And one of the problems is, where does the money go? Does it go to transitional housing? Does it go to mental health programs? Does it go to drug treatment programs? No, oftentimes, and this is just a reality, I'm, I'm not saying this with any malice toward anybody in law enforcement, but at one point, L.A. County earmarked an extra $10 million to fight homelessness, and 90% of it went to overtime for police officers arresting the homeless and putting them in jail is not a strategy any more than governor newsom's what was it that golden bus ticket thing that he was doing for a while find someone who's homeless pack up all their belongings and give them a bus ticket say give me a name give me a city do you have a relative a son daughter aunt uncle ex-spouse friend somebody anybody and we will put you on that bus and send you there moving the homeless from state to state does not solve the problem of homelessness Oh, look, foreign dignitaries are coming, they said in El Paso and Austin and uh, Galveston, Texas, when President Biden was down there. What did they do? They moved them. Hawaii was having a problem with tourism. The homeless were a problem. What did they do? They flew them all to Portland, Oregon. That's not a solution. But right here in our own backyard, brothers and sisters, we have a mayor who is actually taking some steps to eliminate the homeless problem. And quite frankly... It's working. Have you heard about this? Richard Bailey is the mayor of the city of Coronado right here in San Diego. And he was on Fox and Friends the other day. And he was talking about the fact that he said very candidly, he says, we do not have a problem with vagrants in the city of Coronado. So he was asked by the host, uh, a woman called Ashley Stromer, how are you able to do that? How can you make that claim? 
And he said, well, quite frankly, the policies that we have in place at the regional and the statewide level that are tolerating this type of behavior, that's actually personally destructive and also destructive to the surrounding communities, are actually enabling this situation to increase throughout our entire state and throughout the region. Changing these policies will have a major effect. And so then he started talking about the policies that they have. He said, quite frankly, Coronado, they don't have a problem with the homeless. As a matter of fact, they give the homeless one option. Get the help you need or leave. Boy, does that sound like tough love. He said, quite frankly, the state's policies are self-destructive. And so now Coronado has the lowest homeless population in the state. Mayor Richard Bailey actually went on national television and said there are no vagrants in his city at all. So how does he pull this off? Well, first and foremost, he says the city works with the police department and a homeless service provider to give the homeless that one option, and that is get the help they need. They provide funding, but they don't make it possible for encampments to pile up on the sidewalks. In other words, if you violate the city codes, like being drunk in public or urinating in public, defecating in public, it's not tolerated. And so what's interesting, though, is he said, as they've been enforcing that policy, what they're finding is that the homeless are actually taking them up on their offer then for resources, funding that is available for what Mayor Bailey calls reasonable services to help those who are struggling get back on their feet. So if you violate a municipal code, there is a no tolerance policy. But if you want help, there is help available. And I think that is huge. I mentioned that the fact that California has spent $10 billion over the past half decade to try to curb the homeless crisis. And instead, all they have done is to make things worse. I'm intrigued by this, and we're going to keep an eye on it here at thebottomlineshow.com, of course, because, uh, well, I mean, here we are. <laughs> we're right here in our back. Coronado's one of our cities. But it's amazing to see how many cities are running into this problem, and part of the reason they're running into the problem regarding homelessness is because they lack the fortitude, the backbone, the spine, whatever you want to call it, to actually enforce public codes. We're not going to arrest anybody for being homeless. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Look, nobody goes to school every morning when they're younger. Nobody grows up in a home that says, the American dream for me is to be living on a street where people are defecating right in front of me, urinating on a sidewalk, and drunk constantly because they just want to numb the pain of their horrible situation. That's not something you aspire to. It's something you wind up in. Well, I'll tell you, it sounds like a lot of Christian charity to me, and I would be encouraged to see more believing organizations connecting with cities to try to do something to rid the city of the problem of homeless. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I hope you find it uh, in encouraging and challenging. And Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes and ears and hearts of one of our listeners at least to take the steps to make the moves to work toward helping those who are disenfranchised in this regard. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. And all God's children said, Amen. 
You know, there are a lot of people who would have argued over the years that America is a Christian nation or America was a Christian nation and we got to get back to our Christian roots. I would make the case that America is a nation that was founded upon biblical principles and sometimes we get them right and sometimes we don't. The more I read the works of Dr. Jerry Newcomb of the Providence Forum, the more I begin to believe that he and I are kind of of like mind in this regard. As a matter of fact, the Providence Forum in conjunction with D. James Kennedy Ministries has produced a video series called The Foundation of American Liberty series. It's a collection of seven different DVDs that talk about um, our Christian roots in this nation and how we've gotten some parts of it right and some parts of it wrong. There's one of those uh, presentations in that series is a DVD called We the People. Uh, we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. And in just a moment, Dr. Jerry Newcomb's going to join me. And we're going to talk about this video. And we're also going to talk about the Foundation of American Liberty series from the Providence Forum. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, today here on Bottom Line, we're going to talk about a resource that is going to be of tremendous benefit to you as a believer, to your family, to people in your church as well. And to uh, join me to have this conversation is Dr. Jerry Newcomb, who's the executive director of the Providence Forum, which is part of D. James Kennedy Ministries. We're going to talk about the We the People DVDs uh, program that uh, gives us an opportunity as Christians who are Americans who love our country to be able to better articulate why we do love both. Uh, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, welcome back to the Bottom Line show. Thank you. Great to be with you. Let's talk about this. I mean, oftentimes you hear people are saying, you know, I'm kind of post-America, I'm kind of post-religion, Christianity, this, that, and the other thing. And other people who have a passion for our American history, love God, but really don't have the resources, don't have the tools to have that conversation. Talk about how Providence Forum gives them a, the way to kind of intersect both our love for our God, but also our love for country. Yes, and uh, I'm going to start with saying this. Dr. Peter Lilback is the ultimate founder of Providence Forum, and about three years ago, he gave it to D. James Kennedy Ministries, which hmm. agreed to, to accept it uh, because he was so busy with Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia as the president. Mm -hmm. And they said, but we'll only accept it if we have somebody who can run it for us. And so Providence Forum is now a part of D. James Kennedy Ministries, and by the grace of God, I am the executive director of it. And Peter and I had uh, joined forces about 15 years ago in putting together a book 
about the faith of George Washington. It's called George Washington Sacred Fire. By God's grace, it became a bestseller. And the gist of the book is that George Washington is was not a, an deist, as is often said, but rather he was a committed 18th century Anglican. Mm. And he set a very strong pattern in terms of, you know, how the Christian faith played a, a key role in his life. And this is no small matter. This is the the father of our country. And in fact, in our our seven-part film series called The Foundation of American Liberty, distributed now by Providence Form. It's something I've God put on my heart, and I've been working on it for years. And there's seven different episodes. The latest one is We the People, but but there's a whole episode about George Washington himself showing how the Christian faith really was important uh, to him. And, and uh, for example, in our book, George Washington Sacred Fire, just a quick anecdote, there are several appendices in the back of the book. And one of them, Dr. Lobeck carefully went through all the different writings of George Washington and, and speeches, and he showed how over and over and over, George Washington was a man of the Bible. Hmm. He quoted the Bible or Bible phraseology all the time. His favorite verse was Micah 4.4, and every man shall sit under his own vine and fig tree. To him, this was a metaphor of what America could be like, where, where could people, people could have their own opinions, even if they're heterodox, if you will, but they're not going to be harassed for their opinions. They're not going to be canceled, like cancel culture that we're seeing today. And in this latest episode, of course, we the people, we explore how the Constitution is such a durable document, and that's because of Christianity. You know, one of the things we love about these conversations with Dr. Jerry Newcomb is to see the intersection of faith and reason and logic and, and liberty. And today here on The Bottom Line, as we talk about George Washington, we talk about this We the People installment in this new DVD series. It's interesting, as you mentioned that, uh, Jerry, I was so taken with the fact that a guy like George Washington, very biblically grounded in his faith, but at the same time, he understands something that I think a lot of secular leftists don't, and that is the reason why we have the framework for a system a system of government that allows for different religious expressions or even no religious expression ironically is the judeo-christian exactly. ethic if you will i mean talk, help, help us understand how that a lot of people would say well we don't want everyone to be a christian here in america we're not a theocracy so get the bible out of the way and now you're saying well no actually it's because of the bible that we do have the system that we have that's exactly right i I like to say this, I've said it multiple times, that the, the essence of America can be found in two phrases, the American experiment, really. And that is one nation under God. In other words, it is self-rule under God. If you remove either of those phrases, you end up, frankly, with tyranny, one way or the other. Now, if you say, well, we have self-rule in America, of course we do, we the people, but that self-rule is under God, because if you remove God, right. then you remove the only sure basis of, of where our rights come from. You see, the, the Constitution was predicated on the Declaration of Independence. Declaration of Independence written in 1780, I'm sorry, 1776, the Constitution written in 1787. But the Declaration of Independence says that our rights come from God. It mentions God four times. And uh, the Declaration was really the predicate for the Constitution. The Declaration explains why we exist as a nation, and the Constitution explains 
how we are to be governed as a nation. And Christianity played a pivotal role in both. For example, in the Constitution, some people, in fact, were, there was two law professors at Cornell, I believe, that wrote a book called The Godless Constitution. It's a very thin book, but unfortunately, it's still used in many law schools. Uh, it has no footnotes, no, not one. There's no documentation. Mm. And they say that the founders explicitly and purposefully left God out of the Constitution. Oh. Well, first of all, they didn't leave God out of the Constitution because it is signed in the year of our Lord. And you might say, well, that's a mere formality. Law professor and author John Eidsmo, who, by the way, is one of the guests, one of the many guests in this uh, We the People episode. Uh, he is the author of the book Christianity and the Constitution. He says that that in the year of our Lord is like the attestation clause in a will. Hmm. He said an attestation clause in a will is very important. So it's not correct to say that that the Constitution leaves God out. Secondly, as I say, the Constitution is predicated on the Declaration of Independence. And so it's built on that base. And the Declaration of Independence says that our rights come from God. And, you know, as my good friend Bill Federer likes to say, what the state giveth, you know, the state can take it away. Yes. But when God gives rights, and the founders didn't invent those rights, they didn't invent those words, they just acknowledged them and put it into our founding documents. And that's nice. And that's great. That's part of the reason this is so durable. That's why this country has lasted as long as it has. That's why yeah. people are risking their lives in the southern border, now even maybe in the northern border, to try and get here to America. Uh, and a lot of Americans today, they like the the uh, fruit that Christianity has produced, you know, in the American experience, you know, with the, the, the Declaration and the Constitution and so forth. But they don't like the root, which is ultimately the Bible. I'm talking with Dr. Jerry Newcomb today here on The Bottom Line, the executive director of the Providence Forum, providenceforum.org. And we're talking about their Foundation of American Liberty series, the We the People video, which we've got a link for up at thebottomlineshow.com. That's an excellent point, uh, Jerry, the fact that we, when we look at an issue like uh, you know problems in the culture, like immigration, um, there's an illegal immigration problem that's you know, that, that's horrible and needs to be stemmed and dealt with. And it's not just a one size fits all solution like build a wall or you know, put people in cages. But rather, let's also look at the fact that there are millions of people who immigrate to this country legally every year. Yes. And the reason they do so is because, well, they're looking for a better way. Dare I say, the quoting the Apostle Paul, it's not the Constitution, but let me show you a more excellent way is here. I mean, this is because of the fact that we're taking God's natural law that was written on the hearts of mankind, we put it into it, it's woven throughout the fabric of our law, and then we, the people, have the opportunity to self-govern. It kind of reminds me of a book I read on marriage called I Love You Unconditionally on One Condition. No. And that's the, the idea, of course, is that, yeah, we have self-rule as long as we acknowledge that the rule that we're following was given to us by God. Yeah. Well, founding father Patrick Henry said that when a nation forgets God, that's when tyrants forge their chains. And I think that's exactly what's happened. Hmm. You know, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we want to get a little bit digger, dig a little deeper into this whole issue. The uh, We the People episode of the uh, Foundation series here that we're talking about uh, not only explains the role that the Bible played in the creation of the Constitution, but it answers 
questions that a lot of people have, especially some of the objections. And on the other side of the break, I want to talk, get into that with uh, Dr. Jerry Newcomb of Providence Forum, talking about why is it that so many people today, it seems, have kind of lost sight of the fact that it's okay to have a biblical basis for the rule of law in our nation. And it doesn't always get you know, followed, but at the same time, it does give us a concrete foundation that otherwise leaves us trying to build something on quicksand. More of my conversation with Dr. Jerry Newcomb in just a moment as the bottom line continues. What do you mean by the fact that I have a 401k time bomb? Eventually, this thing is going to implode and you're going to have to pay the government. And so one guy was totally shocked when I told him that, look, if you leave this right now, your IRA, to your three sons, each one of them will have to declare it and pay taxes on it immediately over the next 10 years. He says, well, they don't need the money. I said, well, the government doesn't care if they need the money. They're going to pay taxes on it. And that's what I mean by the fact that you're going to pay taxes. I had a gal say, did dad really leave me this? I said, yeah, he did. He didn't even know that they changed the law. Most people don't know that they've changed the law. And so it is a horrible situation, especially when there's ways you can mitigate it and not have it be so bad for the family and have it be better off for you. That's what I mean. We try to take the tick out of the ticking time bomb. Your 401k is a ticking tax time bomb. Leave a legacy for your heirs, not a tax bill. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Always great to get some time with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, the Executive Director of the Providence Forum. And today we're having a conversation about the Foundation of American Liberty series, uh, the documentary series on our Christian roots and as they pertain to American history. One of the, it's a seven CD collection. One of the discs in that, uh, one of the presentations, I should say, in that is uh, something called We the People that helps us understand about the Constitution, about the intent, the spirit of the Constitution, and then it also gives us an opportunity to see how, quite frankly, we've kind of messed things up in certain areas and how we can get things back on course using a biblical worldview. I do have one copy of this DVD to give away, and since you tuned in early, then guess what? You're up first. At 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the DVD you'll be asking for is called We the People. It's part of the American Foundation, the Foundation of American Liberty series, I should say, from our friends at Providence Forum and Dr. D. James Kennedy Ministries. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It is Movie Monday, by the way, and so this is our movie of the week. Uh, I encourage you to uh, give us a call and get in on the drawing for this. By the way, if you don't turn out to be the winner, we still have other movies as well. I think we still have a couple movies left, a couple copies of the Gospel of Matthew uh, that are great for evangelism and uh, copies that you will want to have, along with a couple other movies in our prize kitty as well. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the DVD you'll be asking for is called We the People from the Providence Forum and the Foundation of American Liberty Series. It's our Movie Monday entry for this week here on this Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Keep it right here. We'll continue my conversation with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, the Executive Director of the Providence Forum, coming up next as The Bottom Line continues in just a moment. 
Dr. Jerry Newcomb is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Jerry's the executive director of Providence Forum. We have a link for providenceforum.org up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're discussing the uh, the We the People installment of the Foundation of American Liberty film series on America's Christian roots, and this is updated on a fairly regular basis. During the break, Jerry, we were talking about, as I look at the cover of this DVD, I'm smiling because uh, we have a couple of former Bottom Line Show guests who are on there, Alvita King being one of the most notable. She's been a regular with us for many, many years, mm -hmm. but also two of my personal heroes, Dennis Prager and the late Walter Williams, are included in this as well. Kind of uh, go ahead. You're not Dizzy Dean once said, "Bragging isn't bragging if you got the facts to back it up." So go ahead and brag a little bit on who's in this series because it's really an all-star lineup. Well, let me put it this way. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to the Lord and for these people who are willing to do the you know, interviews, including, as you say, Dennis Prager, Walter Williams. Uh, and then also there's a man that uh, ought to be better known. His name is Daryl White. And he's a mm -hmm. he, I'm sorry, he is a retired judge. And he's actually the president and founder, I believe, of a group called the the Retired Judges of America. But he stands very much for godly principles uh, from the bench and uh, very interesting but he's he's a guest in this program and uh, there's uh, Billy Falling who's a Native American pastor and author Jenna Ellis is is in the program and also Daniel Dreisbach Daniel Dreisbach of American University by the way since you, you sound like you get a, a lot of good guests in your program uh present company ex excluded no no no, no. I, I'm, I'm just kidding i'm kidding but but um you might want to consider talking sometime with dr daniel dreisbach if you haven't yeah he is a professor at american university he uh has written a book called reading the bible with the founders and dr dreisbach gives a whole little section in this we the people video about biblical principles that are found directly in the bible like mm. such and such has to be established by two or three witnesses or there needs to be equal weights and balances something directly uh, from the book of proverbs and also deuteronomy and uh the certain laws get get passed sundays accepted oh wait a minute sundays accepted in other words acknowledging the lord's day double jeopardy uh is forbidden and double jeopardy he points out comes from uh saint jerome's commentary going back to the 300s of Nahum chapter 1 verse 9 in the Bible. So in other words, what Dr. Dreisbach does is he walks through how the Bible played a key role, but the biggest way the Bible, it, it, biblical principles are found in the Bible is in the, the separation of powers, the, mm -hmm. the assumption that man is basically sinful, as James Madison put it, a key architect of the Constitution, all men, Having power ought not to be trusted. And we quote in there uh, the Federalist Paper number 51, and we explain what the Federalist Papers are in the first place. But he said that if men were angels, government wouldn't even be necessary. But men are not angels, therefore government is necessary. But since government is instituted by men and run by men, and since men are not angels, then not only do we need to be careful in having establishing a government, but we need to be careful in monitoring the government since government is run by men, not by angels. And he said it, by the way, much more succinctly than I did. Mm. <laughs> That's kind of a, a, a paraphrase, but it's really yeah. an important point because, uh, you know, without 
the biblical understanding that that man is basically sinful and if you you know one person or even a small group an oligarchy would want to lord power over others and that's the the constant temptation that we have by the way another point that we make in this special that i think is really critical is that they weren't it wasn't going very well initially and about five or six weeks into the enterprise of a meeting for the constitutional convention benjamin franklin not the most orthodox amongst them got up and gave an impassioned speech on June 28, 1787, saying that we need to pray. And the speech was, is just absolutely beautiful. And it uh, he, basically a variation of what his request was, that they should pray together. A variation was adopted. They did pray. And at least they were able to muddle through and, and finish it all and, and work out key compromises so that's good yeah definitely well this is so so fascinating having this conversation with dr jerry newcomb today here on the bottom line executive director of the providence forum and discussing the brand new we well it's brand new to us anyway the we the people episode of the foundations of american liberty series produced by providence forum we have links for these up at the bottom line show.com one of the things that i have been taken with and the way you described this dr newcomb is um, the fact that there are a lot of people who have become so, I'm trying to think of the right word to describe it. Everything is a zero sum game, right? It's yes or no, right or wrong, black or white, good or bad. And there, no one really sees the gray. So in looking at the American experiment, for example, it's okay, well, where do you start your view of history and how do you view it? And then how do you see it you know, playing out? Well, if you believe that America was started by Europeans that overran Native Americans, that it's a horrible place, and then you paint everything with that brush. Your contention, though, that the Constitution and that kind of 100-year window, you know, let's say from the mid-18th century to the mid-19th century, uh, really gave us an opportunity. Now we can look back on this and look and say, oh, my goodness, look at what God did. I mean, in terms of his providence, in terms of giving vision and wisdom and leadership, even to people like you mentioned, Ben Franklin, who wasn't necessarily a Christian man per se, but even he's saying we need to call on the Almighty. And it really helped the nation correct, course correct, straighten out, you know, I mean, until we hit somewhere around Andrew Jackson and started thinking, you know, we're, we're, we're all pretty good people, you know, I mean, for the most part, which seems to be, you know, an overarching theme even today. Um, talk about how we, the people, especially what you're doing in this video, gets us back to the point of saying, hey, let's bring this back to the core of why America really is great. It's not because America's great, but because God has been so great to America. That's very true. And uh, they did strive, many of them, in, in creating, you know, following the biblical principles and so forth. But the interesting thing is, you know, obviously the promise of the Constitution, the promise that's inherent in the Declaration of Independence wasn't fully extended initially, you know, to, mm -hmm. to right. the di different subgroups and so forth. But eventually it was. The founders created the framework by which the the injustices that were there present at the time could be rectified now americans didn't invent slavery which you know some people have actually said that kind of ignorant historically yeah, ignorant incredible. statement in fact dr walter williams said in our in our series on uh, you know for the foundation of american liberty he made this point he said slavery and this is by the way a prominent african-american scholar george mason university Unfortunately, he died about a year or two ago, but it was about a year or two after we had done the interview. And 
and he's he's brilliant. I'm so glad he speaks, you know, yet from the grave. He said, slavery has been mankind's fare from the beginning of recorded history. Mm-hmm. And he said, the important point is that in the Western world, we spent tremendous amount of resources to uproot slavery and get rid of it. And that's so true. And as we all, well, maybe we don't all know this. It was Christianity that did that. Now, here I'm talking about something that took place in England before um, the American abolition movement. But I'm talking about William Wilberforce, committed Christian, member of parliament, spent about 50 years fighting against slavery in the British Empire. Phase number one, to end the slave trade. Phase number two, to free the slaves in the British Empire. He was successful, but it took him all of his life you know, for all the rest of his life. And so by the time he died, 1833, the slaves were free. But that abolition movement in England helped spill over to America, especially after the Second Great Awakening, when a lot of people's hearts and and consciences were pricked about the peculiar institution and about the injustice of slavery and so forth. Of course, it took a war, uh, the, the Civil War and so forth. But if you look at Abraham Lincoln's uh, two speeches in particular I would point people to. One is the Gettysburg Address, right. where he basically says, you know, when he opens it up, four score and seven years ago, that's in 1863 that he's talking. So you do the math there in, in saying, you know, 87 years ago, that's a fancy way of saying it. it's actually a biblical <laughs> way of saying what I'm about to say is a biblical. And, and Dr. Daniel Dreisbeck unpacks all this. In, in one of our foundation episodes. But anyway, what Lincoln is saying, that four score and seven years ago, we had this thing, but now we're at a point where we, we see that the, the promise needs to be fulfilled. And our goal is that these men who died here, these brave men who paid the last full measure of their devotion to this nation, will make sure that they did not die in vain so that this nation could have a new birth of freedom. And Dr. Dreisbach points out, you look at the biblical themes, in effect, what Lincoln is saying in the uh, Gettysburg Address is that America, uh, you know, has you have the birth and the need for rebirth, and you have the death and resurrection, uh, you know, of us as a nation and the need to get back to God. And in his second inaugural address, he actually speculates at one point, he says, who knows if this awful scourge of the Civil War is the Almighty, in a sense, punishing us for 200, and I forgot the number, he said, 217 years, I believe, of unrequited toil, and that every uh, blood, you know, every drop of blood that is, uh, you know, brought down through the, the guns here, in, in this calamitous war is in effect punishment for the blood that was exacted from the lashes of the slaveholders. Mm. And uh, I said, really, both of those two speeches are so important and you really can't understand, understand them if you don't understand the Bible. Lincoln was a huge reader of the Bible, but bottom line is the founders created this framework said that all men are created and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, including the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to the pursuit of happiness. Obviously, 
those uh, beautiful promises did not apply to the African-Americans, you know, certainly not those enslaved, you know, in the initial uh, several decades, really, of the American experiment. But they, they again, they set the framework so they could apply. And, and then even after the Civil War, what happened? There was the, the rise of the Jim Crow laws and so forth. Very unjust. And Martin Luther King Jr., having a biblical worldview, said that there's, you know, there is no, there are no races in America. There's only one race, the human race. Alveda King makes his point so beautiful that, yeah, different people have different pigments of, of, of skin. But from one man, God made all the, the peoples of the earth. That's in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 26. And in effect, what, what Martin Luther King Jr. was doing and saying that I have a dream that one day people will be judged by the, the content of their character and not the color of their skin, that we need to become colorblind. He was basically, again, saying that this promise, this promissory note that the founders gave us in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution, that it would apply to us. Now, we're we're wanting to cash in on that, that promissory note. And, you know, we have not perfected this this union but we're working towards a more perfect union mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so this whole special tries to point all those things out and also has a whole long section about the native americans and injustices to the native americans but then uh, ways in which uh the again the promise of america was applied uh to them and we have a couple of native american guests who are saying i'm so grateful for this country and for the constitution and the freedoms it give me give me and yeah, things weren't done right at, at first, but, you know, as we, we've got to move on and things are definitely better. You know, nobody has, has to be stuck on the reservation today uh, by God's grace. And uh, so if people need to realize this, that, that, see, what's happening is essentially the Marxists today, some of the Marxists are, are wanting to tear down America and essentially, you know, burn it all down and then create some new marxist utopia and that's mm -hmm. a good phrase utopia because utopia yeah. <laughs> means no place it doesn't exist and there is no marxist utopia you show me a place and you know where marxism has taken over some place torn down you know something maybe some there were some injustices and they addressed those but they didn't really uh you know provide a better alternative in fact they, they brought hell on earth instead of heaven on earth in fact a former mm -hmm. a former uh Socialist Joshua Murovchik wrote a beautiful, brilliant book about communism and socialism. It's called Heaven on Earth, and it's all about how they aim to find heaven on earth or create heaven on earth, and, and instead ended up creating the other one, hell mm -hmm. on earth. And and he's a former socialist. He was a at one time he was the president of the Young Socialists of America. Mm. Oh my goodness! <laughs> beautiful mm -hmm. book, Heaven on Earth. I believe it's an Encounters uh, book. I, I once interviewed him. For one of our programs at D. James Kennedy Ministries called uh, Socialism, a Clear and Present Danger. Wow. Wow. That's and that sounds so so awful and ominous, but at the same time, Doc, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, one thing that we do find in the foundation of American Liberty series, especially the We the People uh video presentation, is that phrase you mentioned that we know so well, in order to form a more perfect union in terms of the fact that this is an ongoing experiment. I mean, we have the framework, we have to carry out these biblical principles. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, the executive director of the Providence Forum. Providenceforum.org is the website. Our time always goes by much too quickly, but 
but wow. we're grateful for every moment that we get with Dr. Newcomb. Check out the Foundation of American Liberty series at ProvidenceForum.org, and especially We the People, the video we've been talking about today. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. I enjoyed it very much. Well, a great conversation, as always, with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, Executive Director of the Providence Forum. Uh, check out the Foundation of American Liberty series. It's a seven-DVD collection. We talked about one in particular that we're giving away here on Movie Monday. This is our Movie Monday uh, entry for the week. And that is Dr. Newcomb, uh, the video that he described earlier for us called We the People. features Dr. Walter Williams, uh, Dr. Albita King, uh, Dennis Prager, Jenna Ellis, and more. You are going to love this. And we only have one of them to give away, so you better call in now to get yours. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Of course, uh, if you are not a winner of uh, uh, this outstanding dvd we also have some great uh, resources from uh, in touch ministries uh, charles stanley and also dr d james kennedy as well so excuse me from uh, david jeremiah as well so uh, give us a call get one of those resources today as we continue we the people have spoken with regard to the push for electric vehicles is the whole world going electric to save the environment or maybe some of the spark has left the argument. We'll take a look coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Our movie this week comes from our friends at the Providence Forum. It's a DVD called We the People. It's part of their Foundation of American Liberty series, and we have one to give away right now at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And of course, we since we only have the one DVD here, we do have a couple of DVDs of the Gospel of Matthew to give away as well. And we'll be happy to put them up for grabs when you call 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Hey, remember the big push a couple of years ago for electric vehicles? Uh, this was going to be the simple solution to global warming and greenhouse gases and carbon emissions, the whole shot. The White House announced that by, was it 2030 or 2035, every federal vehicle would be electric. We've come a long way from Who Killed the Electric Car, that great documentary from about 30 years ago, to today, everybody wants in on the action. But it's interesting how there was a lot of hype and there are even some government mandates for this. But when we, the people, had a chance to speak, well, um, <laughs> we, the people, are speaking. The American electric vehicle industry is dealing with something that is just, quite frankly, supply and demand. It's, it's not as big as they thought it was going to be. Um, for example, take Rivian Automotive. Rivian Automotive is one of the newer entries into the uh, electric uh, uh, automobile world. And when they started doing this, they were losing money. Well, let's put it this way. They're actually uh, gaining a little bit with regard to uh, their losses. In the fourth quarter of 2021, Rivian lost $2.46 billion. Okay. In the fourth quarter of 2022, they only lost one72 billion dollars um they did have a problem uh with a 
couple of uh, electric trucks and SUVs that were recalled because of a faulty sensor in the front passenger seat. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. They had to recall about 12,000 vehicles. But let's face it, whether it's Tesla or Fisker or uh, what are the other uh, brand Lucid, which is a luxury sedan manufacturer, uh, Nikola, which makes electric semi-trucks, they're all facing financial pressures. As a matter of fact, um, Fisker is the only company that saw theirs improve. Um, they have more affordable electric vehicles than the other models do. Uh, their SUVs cost $37,499 to purchase. Uh, Tesla's Model Y, which is the least expensive Tesla, goes for about $54,000. Uh, Rivian's R1S SUV runs around $78,000. Lucid's Air Pure sedans sell for $87,400. The only company that has seen an increase in their production is Fisker. Tesla has been slashing prices this year because, quite frankly, there's a lot of competition now and they don't know if they can fight them off. Um, by the way, Fisker, the one that has seen its orders improve, um, they improved this year to 56. Yeah, Fisker has sold 56 cars this year. Uh, so what's going to happen? Well, you know what? What happened? What happened here is, well, we've got these tax credits coming from the federal government. So the tax credits are going to encourage electronic vehicle prices, right? Well, maybe not so right. We'll take a look at the numbers in terms of how the tax credits have actually helped and some places where they're actually hurting. And what does the industry look like on the whole? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. It's Movie Monday here on The Bottom Line Show. And I encourage you, you've got a couple minutes left to call in uh, to get your copy of We the People, the outstanding DVD from our friends at uh, Providence Forum and D. James Kennedy Ministries. It's one of the seven entries in the American Foundation of Liberty series. And we've got one copy that we're giving away right now at 800-227-5278. Also a couple copies of the Gospel of John DVD. It's Movie Monday, so why not? 800-227-5278. We the people get a chance to have a say in what we drive and what we don't drive and what we buy and what we don't buy. The government has been pushing like crazy to get us into electric vehicles. Rivian had a goal of producing 50,000 vehicles in 2023, and that's going to fall below their regular estimates. 
um, they took in $663 million in revenue. Now, they only took in $663 million in revenue in 2021, or 2022 rather, they took in $1.66 billion of revenue. And I'm talking fiscal. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, Rivian had $1.66 billion of revenue in 2022, and they lost $6.75 billion. So what about EV tax credits? Up to $7,500 per electric vehicle made in America would cause demand in that sector to jump, right? Well, there's some fine print. First part of the fine print is all of the parts have to be made in America. So if it's a hybrid type of thing where some of the transaction is produced outside the country, you don't qualify, number one. Number two, on discovering that they would be qualifying for $7,500 electric incentives, all the major motor manufacturers wound up raising their prices by $7,500. So far, the four leading electric vehicle companies have lost. Are you ready? Their company's values have gone down by a total of $84 billion, with a B, dollars since the start of 2022 financial year. Here's the thing with the electric vehicle. They're non-biodegradable. They're non-reusable. They're super expensive to rework on right now. If you have an electric car, I'm glad you like it. Enjoy it. Love it. If not, though, we the people will let the companies know where the demand is. And there has not been that kind of widespread demand for electric vehicles yet. And there may never be. But the beautiful thing about the American experiment is that we get to vote with our wallets. We get to vote our values. If you feel committed to saving the environment by driving an electric car, you should have every right to do so. But if the market doesn't support what you do, does that mean other people have to pay the bill? Something to think about here on the Bottom Line Show. Uh, last call for the DVD from the Providence Forum on We the People, 800-227-5278. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider is coming your way next with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. On the other side of this break, We the People are being lied to by the FBI. But what can we do about it? We'll talk about the whistleblower select committee in the House that's having hearings and why the FBI is literally reversing flipping the script on the pro-lifers who are fighting for the sanctity of human life instead of the pro-aborts who are trying to kill it. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy weekend over to you. First day back in the week and the first full day of uh, the uh, first full week in the month of March. I'm grateful to have you along. Uh, Hopefully the weather's going to be a little more cooperative uh, today than it was uh, the past week or two weeks or whatever, it's, it's been fascinating. It was so interesting to see the different, um, you know, the different weather patterns and snow and sleet and the local mountains were great. And hopefully it wasn't too much. If you're listening in the uh, uh, mountainous areas, sorry, you were kind of without uh, everything for several days. But uh, isn't it nice? You know, it's, it's, it was nice to see reports of, you know, like San Joaquin Valley, Northern California, and uh, reports saying, hey, guess what? Good news. Uh, we've got, you know, God has provided more than enough in terms of rainfall and water, snowpack that will melt off eventually, etc. The question is, if you don't uh, have a way to store the water, 
You know, God's very creative like that. I mean, how often do we see ourselves saying, oh, God, won't you this, won't you that, won't you provide for me? And we're thinking, will you just give me the whole thing, you know, drive that car right on up. And instead of doing that, God gives you the opportunity to, you know, instead of giving you an entire orchard or a vineyard, he gives you a seed. You know, he gives you the soil. He gives you the means with which to, to do it. And California has become the most populous state in the United States, in spite of the fact that half of California is a desert. You know, there, and, and there's this 900 miles worth of coastline, which is all water that you can't drink. I mean, the sea life just kind of exists for itself. So the fact that we have as many people living in the People's Republic of California is pretty remarkable. But at the same time, it really shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be happening because, you know, when you get right down to it, I, we'll find out one day what God had intended for this area. Um, and we'll be pleasantly surprised and maybe bitterly disappointed all at the same time as to what we've done to it. But um, I, to this hour, we're going to focus on the American experiment. We're going to focus on our laws, our rules of law. And the conversation that so many people have about whether or not America is a quote-unquote Christian nation. Now, I, I'll say something right off the bat. When I was a boy, when I was a child, I used to think like a child, reason like a child, speak like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away and began to look at life with more of a childlike faith. As a matter of fact, that, uh, that He Gets Us campaign has a video. There's an ad they've been running on uh, network television. And it shows people being silly and doing whatever. And then it says words to the effect of God didn't call us to be grown-ups or adults or something like that. We're supposed to be childlike. And I thought, wait, 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 wait. I mean, just because we, it is true. We are to have a childlike faith. What did Jesus say? If you do not have faith like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But scripture is also replete, awash, flush with uh, commands to gain wisdom, to become mature in the faith. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. It doesn't mean act stupid and silly and dress like a toddler and, you know, a lot of things that the culture has decided are okay. Have a certain measure of decorum, but you can still have that childlike innocence. This is where, I'll make the case here, grandparents set the tone <laughs> on how to be dignified, how to be adult, how to be mature and wise, but also how to have fun in a childlike way, not a childish way. I mean, this is the world we're living in right now that seems to lack a certain measure of discernment. But is this because God's taking his hand off of America and just letting us uh, dwindle and devolve into uh, more of a childish manner? I don't believe so. I honestly do believe that if you take a look at the foundation of the American experiment, you see that at the moment that America was in fact created and the commitment to establish a nation that was recognizing the certain unalienable or inalienable rights endowed by our creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you see that the framework is there to get this right. Never mind the people who came and forced their way onto the continent. Never mind the people who decided that 20% of the population wouldn't be governed by the Constitution. The framework was there. And so to say this is a Christian nation, uh, how about this is a nation founded on biblical principles? How about that? Um, okay, so that being the premise then. An interesting 
turn of events has happened in the United States since the 24th of June, 2022. Now, remember, for as much as of the 12 years of this program, how I winced every time I would mention the 22nd of January, 1973, because that's the day Roe versus Wade was passed by the Supreme Court, blah, blah, blah. It was never actually a law. That's right. Abortion on the federal level was never actually codified into law. But what happened is because of these rulings, or because of this ruling, I should say, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that uh, a woman had the right to privacy and to make her own decisions with regarding abortion and not being forced to tell anybody else just between her and her doctor. Then that led to a whole slew of laws that were passed on the state level. But just the assumption that if a woman tried to have an abortion and someone tried to stop her from having the abortion, that if she went to court, she'd win because of case precedent with Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Well, on the 24th of June, the Supreme Court said, whoa, wait a minute, we're looking at the Dobbs versus Jackson case out of Mississippi. That would establish a ban on abortions after 15 weeks. And they said, oh, and by the way, because we ruled that that law is constitutional, we don't see any constitutional support for Roe versus Wade or Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Therefore, we're overturning those. So, of course, the left lost its mind. What are we going to do? We're going to have to, you know, this is terrible. You're losing your freedoms and your democracy's at stake. You have to vote Democrat. I mean, and it worked. They were able to convince a plethora of college-educated single women to get out to vote and thinking that the the Constitution was about to be torn up right before their very eyes by the same activist judges that were actually looking to keep the Constitution in place, not paying any attention to the Clinton years or the Obama years or wherever where the Constitution was trampled on. Activist judges were uh, legislating from the bench in a direct violation of constitutional authority. And you had to wonder, okay, now is the government actually working for of and by the people or are they working with regard to political agendas well a lot was said about you know donald trump's four years in office and oh boy weaponizing the that's then the other thing now that the uh, congress is held by the republican slim majority kevin mccarthy speaker of the house there's a committee that's looking into whether or not the government has been weaponized. And of course, naturally, the left doesn't see anytime they go after something. Yeah, we changed all the election laws, 300 different election laws to make it so that Donald Trump would never get reelected. So what? We had to. We were protecting democracy. But then if a guy like uh, Brian Kemp signs a voter ID registration law in Georgia, oh, no, it's Jim Crow all over again. Ah, segregation. Ah! Even though in the, pre, in the midterm elections in Georgia, the voter turnout was bigger by far than the voter turnout was in 2018. There was no voter suppression in Georgia that we could see. And the Democrats actually had a pretty good turnout. Pretty good run. Same in Texas. As a matter of fact, in Texas, the Democrat vote increased in the 2022 midterms. After they passed their segregationalist, restrictive Jim Crow, I'm putting air quotes up here, um, laws, their voting laws. Remember Stacey Abrams was out there trying to run for governor saying they're trying to hold back the black vote and trying to suppress it. And it actually turned out to be a bigger boon. Voter suppression, by the way, just to remind Stacey Abrams, voter suppression is that moment when you... (laughs) 
voter suppression a friend of mine posted this uh, i was looking at his uh, social media posts uh, from a couple years ago his birthday was the other day and i hadn't kept up on him african-american guy uh, nice enough guy we worked together for many years and he was talking about voting in his post and he said you know i um i went to go register to vote today and i was getting ready to vote in the primaries this was in 2018 and he said, I looked at the calendar and I noticed that I was 46 years of age. And so when I went to sign up, I think someone asked him a question. I said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 46. And then he said, I realized that if I had been voting in the Jim Crow South in the 1950s and 60s, and I answered, that was my age, they would have told me it was wrong. Because what they were looking for was how many years, how many months, and how many days old was I, not just how old was I in years. He said, so I made sure when I went to the polls that I knew I was 46 years, 8 months, and 10 days old. Now, that sounds, re- it sounds pathetic and innocuous, doesn't it? But guess what? That's what happened in the Jim Crow South. Those were the types of laws. The Voting Rights Act of 1964 sought to change those types of laws and keeping people from minority communities, people of color and whatnot, who were being, those kinds of laws were passed all the time. Talk about the government being weaponized to hold people down. Now, you hear a story like that, you say, that's outrageous. It's terrible. It's horrible. Well, guess what? It still happens. Only now, it appears that it has happened against pro-life conservatives. We'll tell you that story coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. In the spirit of my conversation uh, from the last half hour with Jerry Newcomb of Providence Forum talking about the Constitution and the We the People part of the American Liberty Series um, that was produced by Providence Forum. And uh, congratulations to the everyone who called in for that DVD, We the People. Um, we're taking a look at a case where a lot of people on the left have been furious with the fact that they think Republicans and conservatives are, are weaponizing the committees by establishing a weaponization uh, review board in the House of Representatives. But I mentioned that the government has a history of being weaponized against certain people and against certain people groups. And I gave an example of a friend of mine who, when he was voting in the midterms a couple of years ago, black guy, um, was talking about how he was reading up on some of the civil rights history. And this didn't impact him. He's in his 40s now, which means I think he was born in 1970 or something like that. But he said that 
when he went to vote, he made sure he knew how old he was in terms of years, months, and days, because those are the kind of tricks that st- southern states used to play on voters when they would show up and, um, and, and try to vote, and they would you know, they'd check their ID and look at them and say, how old are you? And if you did give them the exact date down to the day, practically the hour, you weren't allowed to vote. It's that one scene, I think, in the movie Selma, where Oprah Winfrey plays an African-American woman who is trying to vote. And uh, she goes in, and they ask her to read, like, the preamble to the Constitution or something from memory before she's allowed to vote. And I thought, man, no one's ever asked me that question. So does the government weaponize? Well, absolutely it has. I mean, we look at what the FBI did with the Trump uh, investigations about the Russian collusion, which became the Russian delusion. But now... (laughs) It's amazing because a couple of whistleblowers from the FBI are coming forward. They see that the House of Representatives wants to take a look at, uh, you know, the way the government has been weaponized. We saw what happened in the Obama administration, the weaponization of the Internal Revenue Service against nonprofit organizations that were supporting groups that literally were uh, doing the type of political activism that was in direct opposition to what the president was doing at that time. Uh, Now it appears that... uh, a FBI special agent has come forward and said, had made the claim that uh, when it comes to the uh, Biden administration, the weaponization of that administration is real, especially as it pertains to the pro-life community. FBI special agent Garrett O'Boyle, who worked at the Wichita Resident Agency in the Kansas City field office, said that the FBI created a threat tag following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade last year. That on after June 24th, 2022, uh, the FBI created this threat tag, and then they later shifted the focus to exclusively focus on people who are pro-life individuals. Now, this is that House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of Federal Government, and Agent O'Boyle has been testifying. He did so last week. He said basically what happened was if there was a case involving any pro-lifer, um, someone who was passionate about the, uh, uh, the sanctity of human life, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> they were told that if someone was pro-life, they were, uh, the FBI created a threat tag called Threat to SCOTUS 2022. That was after the Dobbs versus Jackson decision. After the ruling, Garrett O'Boyle said that he felt the use of the threat tag actually was legitimate, in his words, because threatening a Supreme Court official is a violation of a federal crime. Okay? Actually, a violation of law, it's committing a federal crime. The FBI has used these types of tags to monitor cases on a large scope in particular. Think about this, though. Remember in the days leading up to the decision and how many people were going public with the information about personal residences, addresses, things of that nature of members of the U.S. Supreme Court? Shouldn't those people have gotten that same tag? Actually not, because according to Garrett O'Boyle, after Roe versus Wade was overturned, and even though he agreed that if you threaten a Supreme Court official, it's a violation of federal law, it is in fact a federal crime and should be pursued as such. But now the FBI began using that tag to monitor people who were pro-life. He said, when the threat tag came out, I, I asked the question, why are you focusing on pro-lifers? 
It's the pro-choice people who are the ones protesting. They're the ones going to the Supreme Court justices' house. They're the ones who are firebombing pro-life clinics. Why are we actually labeling them, the pro-lifers, that way? O'Boyle said he was told FBI agents wanted to, quote-unquote, look into what the Bureau called pregnancy centers. And then he said, you know, the antithesis to the abortion clinics. Whatever those are called, look into those. Boyle said he was confused as to why the agents would need to, quote-unquote, talk to these people about threats. And then he said, if anyone's going to be threatened, it's them. The people thought that abortion was suddenly outlawed, which was not, in fact, the case in half the states. It was just remanded back to the states. Later, he was given what is called a request for collection and was instructed to ask a confidential source a bunch of questions about the threats to the Supreme Court. The source just happened to be a pro-lifer. At that point, Garrett O'Boyle just said he used a certain measure of uh, common sense and said, I asked the question, why would that person know anything about threats that were going to be made? Because he is pro-life. He's not the one going to the Supreme Court justices' homes and threatening them. But then it really got dicey, literally dicey, with regard to how the FBI was somehow targeting pro-lifers because pro-abortionists were actually going after pro-life justices in the Supreme Court and the pro-life community on the whole. He said, basically, the FBI required him to now take one domestic terrorism case and put it into four different cases make up four different files for one case and four different angles on it. And he said the reason they were told was they wanted to be able to show Congress that there was an influx of domestic terrorism cases. I mean, isn't that kind of like saying, here is a family, mom and dad, and they have four children. We're going to treat each of the children as separate households. Well, when they get older, of course, maybe they would be. But when they're eight, nine, ten years old, you're not going to. So basically what Congress was, was looking for at the time, because this is in 2022, Democrat majority, was they were looking for pro-lifers to be accused of terrorism and then to have their cases basically quadrupled. So then they could go to the press and say, see what's happening here? It's amazing. This is not the we the people government that the biblical foundation that we have for the Constitution endorses at all it's flat out lying i mean when you look at our friends at preborn preborn is one of those clinics the preborn health centers all across the country especially the ones here in california the preborn clinics are here as health centers to provide free ultrasounds free pregnancy tests and then a ton of free materials to women who are facing an unexpected or a crisis pregnancy and give them their options 85% 85% of the women who go to preborn get the free pregnancy test, get the free ultrasound, and then see the ultrasound images and listen to the baby's heartbeat. 85% of the time, they choose life for the baby. Either the baby is going to be raised in that home or the baby is going to be released for adoption. But only 15 out of every 100 women who come in pregnant and see an ultrasound at a preborn clinic choose abortion. It's phenomenal. Come, juxtapose that 
with what happens at a Planned Parenthood clinic where the clinic will administer anyway between 300 and 600,000 abortions, either surgical or medical, during the course of one year, and their adoption referrals is about 1,500. I don't have the specific numbers. Those are anecdotal based on the past uh, Planned Parenthood annual reports. But you get the idea. The left apparently has been doing this all the time. When you give a gift to preborn, by the way, you give a gift of $28. That provides the whole service for a woman, the pregnancy test, the ultrasound, the technician, all that. And 85% of the time, the woman's going to choose life for her and the baby. More than 10,000 women came to faith in Christ last year at preborn clinics. And your donations helped make that possible. Last year, Bottom Line Show listeners donated enough money to put six new ultrasound machines at $15,000 apiece. Six new ultrasound machines in preborn clinics all up and down the state of California. I know there's a bottom line listener right now who has that $15,000 and can make a donation. Let's up the ante to seven, shall we? 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. 833-850-BABY. Or go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Look for the preborn banner, click on it, and in about 28 seconds or less, you can make that donation. One ultrasound machine through a preborn clinic, $15,000. It provides 250 ultrasound screenings per year for a minimum of 10 years. 2,500 ultrasounds done for $15,000. You can do the math. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. Preborn, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. Some final thoughts on what the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of Federal Government is revealing and discovering with regard to how the FBI has been weaponized to target the pro-life community. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. What do you mean by the fact that I have a 401k time bomb? Eventually, this thing is going to implode and you're going to have to pay the government. And so one guy was totally shocked when I told him, that look, if you leave this right now, your IRA, to your three sons, each one of them will have to declare it and pay taxes on it immediately over the next 10 years. He says, well, they don't need the money. I said, well, the government doesn't care if they need the money. They're going to pay taxes on it. And that's what I mean by the fact that you're going to pay taxes. I had a guy say, did dad really leave me this? I said, yeah, he did. He didn't even know that they changed the law. Most people don't know that they've changed the law. And so it is a horrible situation, especially when there's ways you can mitigate it and not have it be so bad for the family, and have it be better off for you. That's what I mean. We try to take the tick out of the ticking time bomb. Your 401k is a ticking tax time bomb. Leave a legacy for your heirs, not a tax bill. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and good to have you along for the ride today. Uh, we've been taking a look at uh, how pro-life centers like Preborn have been targeted by the FBI unjustly, especially in light of the passage of Roe versus Wade and then having it overturned last June 24th. And ever since then, uh, Special Agent FBI Special Agent Garrett O'Boyle from Wichita, Kansas, testified last week in the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government that after Roe versus Wade was overturned, the FBI instructed federal agents to basically weaponize against the pro-life community. A pre-born clinic would be given the tag of threat to the Supreme Court of the United States 2022, 
when in actual fact it was people who were going after the justices for overturning Roe versus Wade who deserved that distinction. And then any pro-life organization, if there was any sort of terror act against that organization, it was the pro-lifers who would be considered to be the antagonizers and their case would be quadrupled. They would literally take that one case, turn it against the pro-life community, and then reclassify it as four separate cases. So they could then go back to Congress under Nancy Pelosi's lead last year and say, see, there's been an influx of violence against uh, women who are seeking uh, abortive care and it's those anti-abortion activists that are threatening their lives and we're on it. It just wasn't true. We, the people, in order to form a more perfect union, government of, for, and by the people, Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, those constitutional values that, are, that were reinforced with the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. It's taken us a long time to get here, but basically we are now in that Isaiah world where we could say, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Your donations to Preborn. And let's see if we can get another ultrasound machine donated before the program ends today in another minute and a half. $28 saves one child's life, $140 saves five, 280 saves 10, 2800 saves 100. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, fully tax deductible, or go to kbrightradio.com, click on the preborn banner, and you can make your donation there. Preborn clinics need your help now more than ever because of what we're learning on the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of Government. What they're telling us about the fact that they literally are saying good is evil and evil is good by saying anytime you wonder why there haven't been as many indictments against people who've been firebombing churches and and pro-life pregnancy centers, this is why. Behind the scenes, they were trying to curry favor with Congress to try to show them they were being tough on all these anti-abortion activists and create a crisis there when the crisis was actually the pro-abortion types trying to burn down and shut down the pregnancy resource centers. But here's the good news. God is sovereign, and because God is sovereign, you know what that means? That means he always gets what he wants. Can I get an amen to that? Oh my goodness, how good to know that our Heavenly Father rules and reigns, and one day will come to judge the living and the dead. He's reclaiming his people. He's restoring to himself his own. Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That's good news, and that's the bottom line. 